Welcome to the World of Wishes podcast. I'm Make-A-Wish Southern Florida's Chief Operating Officer, Richard Kelly, your host for today's episode. Before we get to our special guest, I wanted to acknowledge a recent donation Make-A-Wish received from Michael Jordan. His $10 million gift has been acknowledged as the single largest gift received in the history of our organization. Michael Jordan has been an amazing ambassador for Make-A-Wish since he was granting wishes in the 90s and he was the most popular I wish to meet celebrity. You can help MJ celebrate his 60th birthday at wish.org slash MJ. And now on today's episode and our special guest, former wish kid, Devin Vickers. Devin's wish was granted in 2003 and she describes her incredible wish experience and how her life and career have become full circle to include her impact on an important Make-A-Wish project. And our guest today is one of my favorite all-time wish kids. I say she's a kid, she's 32 years old now, uh, is Devin Vickers. And uh, welcome, Devin. Thank you so much, Rich, for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Devin is uh, Devin has a, a really interesting story with us, and a really full circle. We talk about that all the time. Full circle, uh, lifetime with uh, with our organization. So, but let's get into go back to when you're a you know you're a preteen. You're 11 years old. You're between fifth and sixth grade, and you you just have this feeling that something isn't quite right with you medically. Um, mm-hmm. So just talk to us a little bit about that as part of, you know, as part of your, your journey up through uh, to and through your wish. Right. Yeah. So um, it all started the summer of uh, between 2001, 2002. And I was actually in Atlanta. It was a summer tradition of me and my closest cousin. We were like sisters traveling to Atlanta with our aunt and uncle and spending the summer there. We would do everything in Atlanta. We would go to Six Flags, like visit the water park. So it was definitely a summer tradition and something I was looking forward to. Um, And that summer, I just started noticing different things, you know, about myself. I The summer, I'd noticed like I would be really sleepy during the day, but wasn't sleeping at night was having sharp stomach pains, had completely lost my appetite, which anyone who knows me, like I have a really good appetite, even till now, Um, but I wasn't eating. And so these were all things I was trying to hide from, you know, the adults in my family at the time, because again, I did not want to ruin our summer vacation in Atlanta. And my aunt, who was a nurse, she immediately picked up on something, no matter how well I thought I was hiding my symptoms I was not so she you know called my mom my mom was on the next flight to Atlanta that night we took the red eye from Atlanta landed in Miami that morning probably at eight o'clock in the morning I had doctor's appointments with my pediatrician by that evening I was at Joe DiMaggio here in Broward and by that evening they had diagnosed me with leukemia so within 24 hours of traveling from Atlanta to Miami, I remember being, you know, in the emergency room and hearing my mom crying, and that's when they kind of told her, you know, my diagnosis. And so that's where, that's where it all began, quite honestly. So that's my earliest memory. So you're 11, and you hear the word leukemia, and it's a whirlwind because mm-hmm. it's a day here, a day there, and then you get diagnosed. Do you remember? you know being sort of too young to understand but old enough to understand does that make sense yeah i i think i was definitely in the middle there and exactly how you described it like young enough not to understand but old enough to understand something was wrong and i was probably a little more 
I probably understood more of what was going on than the normal 11 year old because I had a cousin from the Cayman Islands, which is where my mom's side of the family is from. When I was probably eight, um, she had moved to Miami. She moved up to Miami with her mom because she had ALO and she was really struggling with it. So I got to see her struggles with leukemia and, you know, day in and day out with the uh, with the chemotherapy and her losing her hair. And we were really close. And so unfortunately, she succumbed to leukemia. And so by the time I was diagnosed, that's the only real connection or um, memory that I had of what cancer or what I thought cancer was and what I thought leukemia was. And so basically my 11 year old self really just kind of aligns cancer with death because that's what happened to my younger cousin. Um, and so to say that I was scared, it was probably an understatement, but I am the youngest of four kids. And I think hearing my mom cry and just like, it's just a kind of like a whirlwind. I knew or I felt like I had to be strong for everyone. So I just kind of it's like pulled myself up by my bootstraps and um, just kind of pushed through. But it was it was really difficult. Like I remember having some really difficult times of, you know, crying to my mom and asking her, like, why me? Because it was my first year. I was supposed to be going into middle school. And, you know, I was a young a pre-teenager so I was super excited like we didn't have uniform so I was really like you know growing into my young adult self and I had all these plans for middle school and cancer was not one of them and so it really was just it took a long time to fully wrap my head around it um and so it, it was a lot. And I remember my parents actually sitting me down with uh, one of their family friends who was an older adult who had you know fought through breast cancer like three or four rounds or three or four times. And so I remember them sitting me down with her and just having a heart-to-heart -heart talk because you know, the first year I was just having a really hard time understanding it and questioning like why this had to happen to me. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very difficult as just a kid. And what was treatment like? So fortunately, the, the silver lining of, you know, being diagnosed with, I was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia, which is a special leukemia that really only affects adults. I think less than 1% of the people diagnosed with CML are children. And so it was a very rare case. And so it was perfect timing because at the time, um, the FDA had just approved a new kind of breakthrough in chemotherapy which was in the form of a pill. So I didn't have to undergo like the injections and I didn't have to stay in the hospital for too long. And I literally just had to take four pills in the morning, four pills in the evening. Um, and that was my chemotherapy for three or four years. Um, and so other than physical restrictions I had in my first year of middle school, um, I and you know, going to the hospital and going to doctor's appointments every week, that was pretty much the extent of when I was first diagnosed with cancer. And so I was really lucky like the first time around that I didn't have to go through at such a young age what a lot of other kids who you know have life-threatening diseases like cancer um, have to go through. And so that, that was the silver lining of that experience. And then you know, then within that time, having Make-A-Wish come through, I think 
everything really happened in alignment and it happened when it was supposed to happen. And so it, it still as an 11 year old kid, it was rough, but um, it could have been a lot, a lot worse. And then make a wish comes through and, and then, and then make a wish comes through. You know, and then, so then describe that process of selecting your wish. I know it was a, it was an interesting process of selecting it and you didn't think we could pull it off, yeah. but you know, but um, you know, so t- talk to us about that, you know, that, process as 11 year old when you say when people come in and say you can have anything in the world you want right. and you're and you go okay i'm testing the system and let's right. go yeah so i mean i by that time i was in remission or just starting to be in remission um but again i was still like not feeling like a normal kid because even though i didn't have to undergo traditional chemotherapy i still had to go to doctor's appointments sometimes more than once a week which meant like leaving school early or coming to school late so there's just still a lot of um, back and forth with just doctor's offices and and just stuff that normal kids what i thought normal kids didn't have to go through and so i was still kind of struggling with that And then my social worker at one of my doctor's appointments at Joe DiMaggio um, pulled us to the side one day and basically said, you know, we have representatives here from Make-A-Wish and they want to sit down with you and your family. And within a couple weeks, they met with me and my parents at my parents' home in Miami Lakes. And they explained to me what Make-A-Wish was. And I still didn't fully understand. I, I understood, but I didn't fully understand the gravity of it. Because I think I was telling you earlier that when you're kids, you have this like just un just unimaginable imagination. Like your imagination has no limits. But as kids, when you're around parents and like you know adults, they're kind of trying to limit your imagination a little bit, like bring you back to the real world. And so, with this conversation with the Make a Wish reps, they're telling you like we'll grant pretty much anything. If you can dream it, like we will try our hardest to make it happen. And so that was the part that wasn't jiving with me. Like I was like, I don't believe you all. Like I literally was a kid that was just diagnosed with cancer. I never would have thought this would have happened. And now you're telling me you're gonna like take me anywhere I want, have me meet anyone I want. Like this does not make sense. And so I think they they um, sensed my hesitation or my skepticism. So um, we just, you know, kind of played different games. They had me fill out different surveys about, you know, who my favorite celebrities were. If I can meet anyone, who would I meet? If I could go anywhere, where would I go? And so one of the questionnaires literally said, rank your, you know, top five people that you'd want to meet. So jokingly, like the first person I put was Bill Clinton. And you know, I really did want to meet Bill Clinton, but I never thought that I would be able to meet the former president of the United States. And so I put him as number one. And then my other two were Destiny's Child and Nelly. And um, so honestly, I filled out that list and didn't think anything of it. We continued to talk after that. And then probably a short time later, I got the call that they reached out to... Um, the former president's office and he agreed to meet in his office in Harlem and that they would be arranging the trip and that would be pretty much like a week-long trip in New York um, and it was as simple as a phone call and so I was really excited I still don't know if I fully believed everything just yet um, but I was like hey okay if you all are saying we're going to New York then we're going to New York 
And I mean, that whole experience from the day that, or the time that we stepped into the airport, landed in New York, being met and greeted by a chauffeur and a limousine. I think that was the first time I'd ever been in a limousine um, to meeting the president, to all of the the events that they had planned around or during the time we were in New York from visiting, you know, the Statue of Liberty um, to going to see a Broadway play. Like it was a week full of just experiences that I will never forget. That was my first time in New York. So I was literally a pre-teenager, just like, I just felt like, I was on top of the world. So it was just, it was from beginning to end. Uh, and I think my parents will agree with me. I think they were just as starstruck and just as like in awe as I was. Um, and so it was just an amazing experience. And it, I say experience, but it really was an experience made up of like little experiences. So it wasn't just about meeting the former president. It was everything that went along with that from you know the car ride to his office, um, how, you know, the Make-A-Wish rep made you feel, like the conversations we had, the lunches we had together, um, touring New York City. It was just everything and more. So you were skeptical when the wish granters came. Mm-hmm. You were skeptical after you said, Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. When did that skepticism go away? When did you say, I'm really going to meet this yeah. guy. I'm really going to do it. I think it literally hit me when we were in his office um, waiting with his staff to for them to take us into his like real office so i remember on our way there in the limousine someone asking me are you nervous i was like no i'm not nervous and even walking up the building no i'm not nervous but like sitting in his lobby like with all his pictures of meeting like dignitaries from around the world and like his family like i think that's when it hit me But then when he opened the door and invited us in, it was like all the nervousness kind of just like faded away because he really just made you feel like a part of the family. Like within the first five minutes, it was like I was just talking to, you know, a long lost uncle that I hadn't talked to in a few years. Um, That's just how amazing like his charisma and personality is. And, you know, his, his staff had told us, you know, you know, don't get your hopes up. You can only, he's a very busy man, so you may only get, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. But we sat in his office for at least an hour, and it was just him talking to me and my parents like we were old friends. Um, I don't think cancer came up one time in that whole conversation. Um, he talked to me, I was in middle school, and he talked to me about the clubs I was involved in. We went through my fifth grade yearbook. Um, I think my dad kind of like, had a little fanboy moment because, like, my dad loves Bill Clinton. Like, that is his political icon. And so I think he had a little moment, too, where he was, like, talking to him and my, my mom, of course. Um, and so just that whole experience for not just me but my family is an experience that we won't forget. And I think that's what's so cool about Make-A-Wish. Like, it's not just – it's kid-focused, and it's focused around these – Uh, these kids that have life-threatening diseases, but it's more so focused on the family, like the family dynamics. And I think that's that's the part about Make-A-Wish that I don't think people fully understand that even, you know, years later, like I'm 32 years old now, so it's been like, I don't even know how many years later, and I'm still 
like making connections with Make-A-Wish and, you know, still talking to Norm Wedderburn, the CEO, and him guiding me through my legal career. And so it's more than just that one day or that one week and that one wish. It's more about the family and the connections you make with Make-A-Wish. That really, I think, is why, you know, Make-A-Wish kids come back and are so happy to, you know, drop anything they're doing to help wherever we can because Make-A-Wish really makes you feel like you're part of their family. Did you ever at one moment go, holy crap, the President <laughs> of the United States, I mean, this is, this is, you know, there's how many of 46 of them and this is one of them. And did you ever have one of those moments when you're sitting there? Honestly, no, not when I was sitting there. I think it was more so after because he just makes you feel like just such a normal person. Like, I think I had glimpses when he was giving us a tour of his office and he has, you know, like vintage presidential campaign collection and pictures with, again, like dignitaries from all over the world. But when you're talking to him, he's just talk like a normal person and he's just so down to earth and he has like his, you know, Southern twang. So it's, he just seems like a normal person. And then you have a story about uh, a few years later when you run into him again mm-hmm. at a at it's in Gainesville at a at a political event, and you know sort of this power of make wish or the mm-hmm. power of Bill Clinton's right. amazing memory or whatever <laughs> it is. But uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So this was at this point, this was a good ten years later. Um, I was in college, and me and my parents were at a political fundraiser. And he was there to help that particular candidate raise money. And so he was doing like a meet and greet. And so people, you know, were standing in line to shake his hand and take a picture. And so the whole time me and my parents are standing in line, we're both talk- we're all talking. Like, there's no way he remembers us. So I'm pra- literally practicing what I'm going to say to him to help him remember, like, my wish and that he met me, like, 10 years ago as an 11-year-old kid. And so I'm practicing. We get to the front of the line. As soon as we start making our way towards him, somebody gives us a signal to walk towards him. He locks eyes with us, and you can tell. Like, he just, his eyes just grew big. Like, he immediately recognized us. So not only did he recognize us, but as soon as we got, you know, right in front of him, he, like, extended his arm and was like, hey, Devin, and he remembered me and my parents. He remembered my name. This is, like, the former president who meets hundreds of thousands of people, like, throughout his lifetime, and he remembered, like, little old me. He remembered not just me, but my name, and I think that was the moment where I was, that was the best decision I ever made to make that wish. And it just cemented everything that I thought and everything that I thought he was, even as an 11-year-old kid, in that moment as like a 21-year-old adult, it just cemented that. Like, this is the guy that I wanted to meet and this is why I wanted to meet him. And I'm glad I did because he's an amazing, just amazing person. That's an incredible story. And so did you get almost like a second inspiration for your career and your poli-sci major and did you did that almost give you like a second boost? It gave me a second boost. I wish I could have said like it would have spurred me into politics, but after that I was just like I it just gives me even more admiration and respect for him and still being such a charismatic down-to-earth person and being in a field like how politics is um, where it can, you know, be so just nasty and corrupt and he's still able to walk out the other side and maintain his just integrity and personality. 
Um, so I wish I, you know, had the chutzpah that he has, but I, I didn't. But my poli sci major has helped me in the field that I am now in land use and development, and just having to stay politically in tune with um, the day, the political political day in and day out of what's happening in Miami. So it has helped, um, but it definitely, I think it motivated me in another way to just continue on. Cause at that point I hadn't even gone to law school. I was in, in college and still not even, wasn't a hundred percent sure if I was going to go straight to law school or, um, but I think that definitely gave me the motivation. Cause even after meeting that second time, he wrote me and my family like a handwritten note and sent it to our house. It was like, great meeting, or great seeing you again. Um, and so I know my mom has that frame somewhere. She keeps everything. Mm-hmm. But I think it definitely just gave me the motivation to to just keep trucking and um, to, you know, continue going through college and, you know, wherever my academics, like, took me. So I think it definitely gave me the inspiration and uh, just mm-hmm. to keep moving forward. Speaking of your career, we mentioned full circle moment. And um, as some of you who are listening to this may know, we're building our own facility, the Finker Franco Wish House uh, in downtown Miami at uh, I-95 and, and 6th. And uh, Devin, as part of the, her her firm at Greenberg Trog, uh, has uh, donated uh, a lot of their uh, legal work to the um, the that project and so talk about that part of it and you know your pride in working on that project and and what is you know we keep referring to it as a full circle moment Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's it's definitely been a full circle moment so I graduated from law school got the opportunity to work for an amazing law firm like Greenberg Trorig it was not my plan to work for a big law firm um, but got this amazing opportunity to practice land development at Greenberg Trorig and I think it was an icebreaker, like my first, one of my first meetings with the partner, the managing partner of our department, Iris Ascara, one of the icebreaker questions, I think it was like two truths and a lie. And one of my truths was that I was a Make-A-Wish kid. And so she remembered that. And so the next year she got the opportunity um, to work hand in hand with another partner in our real estate department, Danielle Gonzalez, in doing the pro bono work for the Make-A-Wish House. And so part of that charge was finding the right site in in Miami. And we had gone through a couple of different sites. And so by when they got that opportunity, Iris like immediately came to me as like, you're the perfect person. I want you to help me work on this pro bono project for Make-A-Wish. And so since my second year at Greenberg, I helped Iris um, you know, look for different sites in Miami. We went through a couple that just, you know, weren't quite right. Then we found the current site. Um, and my role as an associate was helping um, the architects on the project, Architectonica and Sherry Gutierrez, uh, make sure their plans and what they all envisioned for the Wish House were able to get the zoning approvals with the city of Miami to be approved and, you know, come to fruition and so that's you know the legal work that takes quite a bit anyone who knows anything about zoning work and getting those type of approvals and permits it's quite a long process and so it was it was my only pro bono project from my second year to now my fifth year at GT and I you say a full circle moment it's I I think you said earlier it's like beyond a full circle moment 
because, you know, I work in big law and, you know, when you're a lawyer that's not like a public defender or or a state attorney, like sometimes people make you feel like the type of law you're doing is not really benefiting people or helping people. And so in this project, not only was I able to help people and help people, help an organization like Make-A-Wish that has given so much to me and my family, but also have a place that Make-A-Wish can call home that will help future Make-A-Wish kids like myself. And so it's beyond a full circle moment where it's something, like you said, it's something palpable that I know that I helped this amazing organization like Make-A-Wish come to fruition. And it's something that I get to pass by when I'm driving to work every day and see like it literally be built from the ground up and like come from literally, you know, papers on a table to literally this huge building in front of me where I know like kids struggling like I struggled when I was 11 years old and in middle school just grappling with the weight of dealing with these life-threatening diseases and it I think it just gives them a space to forget about that for a little bit um and so I'm I cannot wait until we can step foot in it and really like I think that's when it'll come like even more full circle um but I'm just excited and I was just happy that I could lend any I don't even know if expertise is the word, but if I could lend any legal support and legal help um, to make a wish, it was I was going to be there. And so I'm happy that I spoke up that first year during during that icebreaker and that Iris thought of me because it has literally been one of the best experiences in my career thus far. Well, you won't say expertise, but I'll say it. You know, your expertise, your talent, uh, you lent that to the project, and we thank everybody at, at GT for uh, for their help. The, the Wish House is going to be an inspirational facility that Wish kids can go to to pick their wishes, uh, to have their wishes delivered. Uh, you know, it would be a multi-use uh, facility for us, and it's really groundbreaking. Not many chapter, Make-A-Wish chapters in the country have such a facility. Mm-hmm. We're really proud of it. We're proud of your affi- affiliation with it, your contribution to it. And, um, you know, we've done, we've granted almost 14,000 wishes, and I could say with confidence that you're the you're the only one who's come back <laughs> and worked on such a project, and it's one of our most transformational projects we'll have in our chapter's history. And, and to have your work on that has been has been inspirational for us. Well, uh, Devin, we're up against our our max time here. I could talk to you all day, but uh, um, we really do appreciate you appearing here. Appreciate you being part of our family. You know, always part of our family. Um, I loved hearing your story about. Um, you know, meeting Bill Clinton and and what that did for 11-year-old Devin and 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 seeing you as a beautiful 32-year-old, very successful attorney is uh, it's inspirational for us and and one of the many inspirational stories of Make Wish. So thanks for, thanks for being here. No, thanks for having me. Thanks, Devin, and thank you for listening to a World of Wishes podcast produced by Make Wish Southern Florida. Please help support this podcast by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to our archive shows at worldofwishespodcast.org. To learn more about making wishes come true, visit us at wish.org slash SFLA.